welcome to Series 2 of the Stressed But Well-Dressed podcast. In this season of our podcast, we are asking why. We will discuss why stress exists, why we subject ourselves to swimwear in public, and why we need to be more inclusive when we think about style. We will continue to tell stories through style and host guests from a variety of industries, hearing their stories and listening to why what they wear has shaped or shifted their self-perception over time. We will always start with some comedy and think about the highs and lows that have helped us along the catwalk of our career and we'll finish with some great advice for you to take away. Why stressed but well-dressed? Well, we all have our own unique way of showing up and the way we present ourselves is part of our personal armour. Never underestimate the power that armour can have in helping you be you and know that your version of well-dressed is your confidence builder to help alleviate the stress. We wake up every day and we get dressed. Being clothed is a necessity. However, the way we choose to clothe ourselves is part of our self-expression and our self-identity. Wearing clothes that align to our personal values, our interests or our aspirations can enhance our sense of self and our authenticity. And aligning our clothing with our identity has been proven to increase our confidence. Research has shown that connecting a symbolism and meaning to the items in our wardrobe can make us feel a connection between those items and the identity or the image that we wish to project to the outside world. What we choose to wear influences our mood and our performance. This is called enclosed cognition and was researched by Dr Adam Galinsky and his colleagues at Northwestern University. The research looks not only at the symbolic meaning of clothing, but how people use clothing to self-reflect and to uplift their mood to increase their positivity. Creating our own way of feeling well-dressed, we are directly aiming to alleviate our stress, whether we realise it or not. Welcome to Stress But Well-Dressed, and today we're joined by John Byrne. Hi, John. Hi, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. It's the end of the day today. I don't often record in the evening and it's been a, a long and busy day, but I'm looking forward to a conversation about book writing. Yeah, I'm better in the evenings. If you try to record this in the morning, you would have got no sense out of me at all. So I'm really pleased to have you on. And this season, we've been talking about why. Today, I wanted to ask you why writing a book is like starting a business and start to understand how you used your storytelling experience to write a book, create characters and obviously dress them as well. Yes, for sure. John, do you want to tell us a bit more about you and some of your history? Yeah, sure. I worked in the media and advertising industry since honestly 2000, which every time I say it, it seems like a very long time ago. First of all, working in uh, outdoor media and then working in digital media for a while before I founded my own business for the first time in 2013 and then co-founded another business in 2017 before being lucky enough to have enough free time to write my first novel. Novel makes it sound like something literary, so I'll just say book, first book. And that is super exciting, and obviously your book is out now. It's called The Rich List, Mm -hmm. and it's a crime fiction book. Yeah, it's a crime thriller set in Los Angeles. The main premise of the book is an assassin is killing the richest people in the world one by one. Not in order, because then everybody knows next. And an FBI agent is is trying to catch him, along with the rest of the FBI and that and that's kind of the central premise it runs through the book uh, with the cat and mouse and everything else that goes on and the kind of 
Sheldon Freud, if you will, of some of the world's richest people getting killed, which definitely aren't written exactly like the real people, because I told I'd get sued. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like there's some interesting characters in that. So before we get into it, I'm just going to ask you a little bit about your character and whether you have, a, I think you called it in the email, a fashion disaster or a fashion embarrassing moment. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I, I, once you get to a certain age, you've, you've definitely had one. I suppose the worst one was we were at my friend's wedding, actually my business partner's wedding in uh, the Isle of Man. We get, we're getting ready to, on the day of the wedding, pull the clothes out, the suit carrier that my wife brought. In there, in the dry cleaning wrapping is my suit jacket and um, a pair of trousers from a tuxedo, uh, which are completely different colours. So... <laughs> Oh, different colours, do you mean like different black? Oh no, no, like navy blue jacket and black tuxedo trousers. And tuxedo trousers aren't like the most fashionable item that a man can ever wear anyway. It's all like the top half on the tuxedo and the bow tie. So I put it on and I'm like, oh my God, my wife's like, oh, it looks fine because she's, you know, slightly guilty of somehow putting together the wrong items into the suit carrier. So I, I have to go out to the wedding. I'm wearing just the trousers, black tuxedo trousers, a shirt. A tie. I look like I can't afford a suit. I haven't got a suit. So one of my friends asks, and he's like, "What's going on?" And I'm telling him the story. And another uh, of the guests turns up, and he's wearing and a, a terrible, terrible suit. And he goes, "Oh, no problem. I've got like three other suits that I brought." And I was just like, "Well, if this is the best of the three for you brought, like, yeah, not for you." I was like, oh, "No, honestly, I'm not to stay." So I had to spend the day in tuxedo trousers and a shirt, looking like some kind of I don't know. I guess it was just when everyone gets a bit hot in the evening and they take off a jacket, you were like, yes, finally, I feel I was looking forward to that moment. And you mentioned to me that actually you'd seen the transition of men's style and and you've kind of moved away from the suit in your career. Do you have a bit of reflection of kind of how your style's evolved a bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, people will be aware of this if they're old enough, I suppose. But when I first started out in outdoor media, like I bought a suit, tie, shirt, like, you know, everything was super dressed up every day. Um, to go and see clients in the office. Uh, there was no dress down Friday. And then there's evolution to like, maybe you don't have to wear a tie. Maybe we can give you a break when it's 30 degrees on the tube. Then dress down Friday came along. And I'm like, well, maybe one day you can wear jeans and a shirt. I don't know why like one day was fine. But anyway, it was always Friday. If you have a business I was at. Yeah. And then eventually, uh, I think within about three to four years over this period, uh, they were like, actually, maybe you should dress casual. And the crazy thing was, is during this period, most of my job, uh, you'll be going to see advertising agencies. And every single person at an agency didn't wear a suit out of like principle. Like they were all dressed like fashionably. And it was that juxtaposition of someone turning up, trying to talk through selling you some underground posters or whatever it is, dressed in a suit just felt so salesy, even though like, it's obviously sometimes good to look smart. It was counterintuitive in that situation. And I was really glad when we eventually moved and everyone felt more comfortable. You, I feel like um, we're dressing sometimes, you need to feel more comfortable because you need to be, the person opposite needs to feel, feel comfortable how you're dressed as well. You know, if you turned up in jogging bottoms and a sweatshirt, something, and someone else is dressed smart, they would be like, what's going on here? So it eventually caught up and then other industries started catching up. I think the ad industry was usually the catalyst. They were the first people to get, you know, 
football tables in the uh, you know in in the office and things like that. And then other businesses are like, actually, yeah, we need to move with the times. So um, yeah, I saw the evolution, and I was glad it was happened because um, yeah, wearing suits sucks on the underground for anyone who's like spent a lot of time in London uh, getting to work and back. Quite hot and sweaty. Yeah, just not good. Jeans and t-shirt or shorts, even if you're that lucky. And you said obviously you moved from employee to business founder as well. Did your style change at all when you took on that role? Yeah, I think like when when you're an employee, you you're cognizant of what you look like within the workplace to your colleagues, um, and then also when you're out of the workplace visiting uh, clients. When you become an employer, you're you're thinking about how how what how your dress reflects how you want the business to be perceived, uh, especially when you're out uh, with with colleagues or you're out visiting clients. But also, there's you you want everyone in the office to be relaxed, and so I was like, you know, I wasn't turning up super dressed up. But if I knew I was going to go and meet clients, I might dress up a bit more. Otherwise, I might dress down a bit. But also, I'd heard certain standard where. I thought, you know, I'd, I'd probably dress slightly different than the rest of the lads uh, or girls in the office, you know, to try and have that air of a, a founder with, about me when I met with clients. Because I think people have an expectation and you need to different, differentiate. And if everyone's a similar age, which quite a few of us were, then clothing gives you the chance to do that. And how do you differentiate yourself? Is there anything you wear in particular or a style that you have that, that makes you feel like you stand out? You know what, like, I'm definitely not that guy that has this kind of, one of the lads that worked for me had his own fashion, uh, like, wore a beanie hat every day, and whatever he wore pulled it off, so he was great at that. So we had the guy in the office, in the team, who was already, like, the fashion dude who everyone recognised and was famous for his hat. So for me, I think I was just like, I just tried to make sure like I had nice new stuff and probably starting when things went well, starting spending more money than I had previously on things like footwear and, you know, I was able to be a bit more, to buy the things that were nice. I think it's about finding things that give you joy and it's called uh, dopamine dressing, which usually is, is related to bright clothes, but I just see it as the things that, that give you that feel good factor, give you that uh, that positivity when you get up in the morning and, and just kind of put a spring in your step, I guess, as you walk out the door and, and into work. Nice footwear then, I think. Nice footwear, nice jacket. I think the wear, the stuff that you're going to wear a lot of that you can build an outfit around, for me, was like, the, I started investing more in that once business was going well. You're still working in marketing, but then you've decided to write a book, which is now published, as we said, The Rich List, and is on shelves, which is super exciting. So you've spent your career storytelling within marketing, and then you actually decided to get a story down on paper. How did you make that move? Advertising is storytelling, whether it's the people who are trying to persuade you that you're you know, whether it's your website or, you know, your placement on the underground or whatever it is, is the best place to tell the brand story or to attract the audience. Or whether it's a creative agency, uh, which is more aligned to what, uh, what I own now, uh, on now um, which is obviously helping brands maybe ideate what they want to talk about and then build that out into advertising creative digitally. And then a book is like, well, yeah, you, you, you're definitely telling a story there. Um, so the there are quite a few parallels you have to understand. I suppose what you're trying to achieve with the story you're going to tell from the very start of it. And if you're sitting down in front of, one, in front of someone trying to sell them an, uh, an idea or sell them, um, you know, a creative execution that you've thought up, um, that's really no different than having to do that over a 90,000 page, 90,000 word novel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's a war and peace? <laughs> 
And we talked a bit around why writing a book is like a business in its own right. What what were the things that you had to consider and, and what surprised you when, when you, you started to write and then when you went through that process and went on that journey? I think like on the biggest parallel without a doubt was the emotional roller coaster. Starting a business is like it it's brilliant and some days are fantastic and some days you're just wondering why you did it. You have really bad days when things go wrong, you think it's the end of the world, you've You've got no fallback. You can't switch off. Um, and then you have days when things go right and you reap the rewards when they do. And if you get a modicum of success, then you feel great about it. But that roller coaster never kind of goes away and you have like cash flow problems, whatever it may be. You're constantly kind of riding it. And writing a and book, I thought, wasn't going to go for that at all. You're constantly learning as well, aren't you, when you're starting a business? And, and I guess you're learning, you're failing a bit, you're making mistakes and you're learning as you go. Oh, 100%. You're like, I, there is a degree where you're making it up as you go along in a way that you do, you do in, a, in a book where you'll have a, an outline of a plot. But, you know, you'll be seven chapters in, you'll be like, oh, here's a new character. I didn't know that was going to be in this book that's just appeared to fulfill some kind of plot device. And yeah, so you kind of, and, and with a business, especially in the formative years, you you know, you really have to have a clear story. You see it from all the, all the biggest, um, you know, especially the digital tech, digital businesses have this biography of the, the founder and what happened that everybody knows about. And even on a lower level, you have to kind of talk to people about where you came from and what your culture is and what you're looking to do and, and why the business is doing what it's doing and why you think there's a, a space for it. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot of storytelling. There's a little bit of uh, gilding the lily at the start and uh, with a book, it, it's not it's not dissimilar from that perspective. So you, you've kind of headlined the plot for us. Tell us a little bit more about the book, where it's set and some of the characters as well. Sure. So it's set in primarily in Los Angeles, also with scenes or chapters in uh, Las Vegas, Miami and New York. The main protagonist is an FBI agent who was born in America, grew up in the UK, which kind of left me the uh, sort of a bit of wriggle room if he had any kind of Britishisms that, not in, the, not in his language or in how he spoke or anything, like, although he speaks with a, an English accent, it's kind of one differentiator in the uh, in the book as a character for him, but to, to kind of give me that kind of Englishness that I know is going to creep through from me writing it for someone who actually was in Los Angeles. I don't know, his backstory is his fiance died in, uh, you know, a, a car bomb with a senator and he's just got over that and then he's looking to try and get his career and life back on track and an assassin has just killed the one of the richest people in the world, kind of like Mark Zuckerberg, but definitely not Mark Zuckerberg for legal uh, um, exactly. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and then it's just the cat and mouse after that. The um, the richest people continue to die and uh, the FBI agent with his team uh, are, are trying to catch him uh, and lots of other stuff is going on. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, I, I think it's like most people, the central hook are like, I can, you know, in today's society with a fair chunk of inequality, the idea of maybe the richest people getting killed, I'm not saying this should happen, is is a, is at least a construct that people can get behind in a fictional way. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure during your work you'll have met so many different people. Has your experience shaped some of the characters that you created? Almost certainly, yeah. Yeah, I think you, there's a temptation to take someone you know or some exact character and just kind of plunk them in and not change them a lot but I think that I just it's just not a fair thing to do and I think authors do and should shy away from that so what you kind of end up with is a sort of an amalgam of um character traits that you 
you build a character up from. So you'd be like, actually like this and this that I know someone does, I'm going to roll that into it. And then I'm going to roll these other traits and uh, very different from that person. And and for a lot of the characters, kind of that's what you're doing. And some, and some are just like completely different. Or some might just have an interest that you know something about so you can write about of authority. It's it's a strange thing. They come to life and then they feel real and they feel really real to, to the author, the people you spend so much time with like employees that you kind of know them inside out and and I guess that's that's true isn't it because when you read a book and, and I love reading you get really engrossed and, and you we were talking about this before you want to know so much about the characters and, and then you want more backstory and more backstory and I guess for you when you're creating them you're you're almost creating the picture of, of that backstory and the context of from which they're operating in and and you're writing about them in the book so you need to consider all of that yeah you have to think about I suppose you have to try and inhabit each of the characters when you're writing them to try and really get into the mindset of how they would feel and act. Otherwise, it, there's nothing more jarring than uh, if someone's reading the character and then you get like 100 pages in and they're like, oh, I don't think you do that from everything I've known to date. So it's kind of trying to keep that line through in terms of how characters behave. And then there's a bit where you just kind of, uh, the temptation is to dump a load of backstory at the start because you're like anybody knows what's happening but you can't do that you just you just can't so you have to kind of feed this backstory out as you go along in a way where the reader kind of knows what's going on but doesn't but is suitably assuaged that like the backstory is going to turn up later so they can they've got points of reference for some of the things and decisions he's making because that is you know what people do in the future is dictated by what happened to them in the past and, and I guess you're weaving that thread through the story, aren't you, as well? So you have to get into all of the characters' heads. And you've mentioned there was an assassin. Did you have to get into their head as well? Yeah, it's a weird thing trying to... I mean, it's a weird thing trying to think. Because definitely, like, you know, I, I don't think about anyone really grows up thinking, you know, they'll be able to think like an assassin. <laughs> um, so, yeah, actually, you're probably trying to think, like, what are the ingenious ways to to kill the most heavily guarded, amongst the most heavily guarded people on the planet. So trying to get an assassin's head was, that was probably where I was coming from. And then I was like, what would the traits of an assassin be? Some are quite cliched, but also probably going to be, be true. They're not they're going to be hanging out with friends. They're not, you know, they're probably not going to be deeply happy in their life. They've probably got something that happened in their life that turned them into the person they are. So you kind of, you try and get that through. And then I try to, with the assassin, I've tried to learn in a good chunk of empathy with the assassin. By the end of the book, that was something I was really looking uh, looking to get, like someone to get towards the end of the book and you know have some pathos with him, even though the terrible things he's done. So that was a deliberate construct. And there, therefore, you're having to think, well, how do I write that character that's so terrible, yet can hopefully have a reader, not root for them, but like kind of root for them a little? <laughs> <laughs> and and did you I, I guess if you were really getting into their mind was it sometimes hard when you, you closed your laptop and you got up and kind of carried on with your day to, to shake off some of the characters yeah well I think it's it's not so much like whilst you're like awake but like if you wake up in the middle of the night and it's the same for a business my mind races anyway at the best of times so oh. straight away if like when I had a business I wake up in the night and they'd be like what are we doing about this what's happening there how about this what's going to happen there and my brain's the same with the book so it's like what's happening in this chapter why not I do this and it's just and, it, and it's reeling off you can't switch that off and it's it, it's good because actually clarity of thinking in the middle of the night is is better to people have brains like mine that are always active 
but also it's not great to see. <laughs> and and talk to us about the character styles. How did you create those? So you kind of with a character style, you're trying to either do one of a number of things. First of all, you you you're trying to you can choose how you dress your characters, but also like they're an FBI agent, so they're gonna have to dress in a certain way. And you're trying to get across, you know, the you know you got slovenly detectives, right? And if you see Gary Oldman in Slow Horses, is a the you know a big example of that or you're trying to get someone who's smart so my main protagonist have decided would dress well but also have money problems so can't dress as well as he'd like and you know he goes on a date and he's having to get stuff out of the wardrobe that's three years old so it's kind of how how he feels about clothes and trying to get that through through the plot and what he would do but then another character is like an analyst and he still lives with his mum and he's quite shy uh probably a bit of an introvert like you imagine analysts could be in the fbi and but he wears really colourful shirts to work because it's his kind of way to, you know, express himself a bit more without having to do it vocally in a way that he doesn't feel as comfortable with. So you kind of go, I'll, I'll do that with him. So it, it's quite fun dressing them. And then with rich people, like you can do whatever you want. Like you just, rich people don't wear brands. Like or if they wear brands, you don't know. So you kind of, you've got to be like aware of that and, and try and, and try and like work that into it. So yeah, so it's 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 a lot of fun dressing. It's a lot of fun dressing them like I did with some of the women. Like have to go to my wife and go like, what would be like the exact thing here? Or she would be like, this this she wouldn't be wearing in an earlier version. She'd be like, actually, I don't think this would happen. And I'm like, okay, because like that's good. Yeah. You, and then others you don't really dress at all because you know again you don't want to be reading all the way through the book and every time a new character turns up there's. A big scene telling like what the hair's like, what the dress like, it gets a bit samey. So you've got to kind of drip feed that in over time or never at all. Sometimes you just go, you know what? She's a female FBI agent. She's small, she's tough. You figure out what she dressed like. And some of it is, I guess, for the reader that the whole point of books is it's the reader's imagination as well and the way the reader interprets it and, and perceives it. And and they'll create their own images in their mind of, of your words and how they put them together. A hundred percent. You know, you, you drop a couple of things in and then they can, and also actually like people's actually when you're reading books stop actually dressing people when they get through it they just kind of start focusing on the character traits or what's happening around the event and caring less about what the character might be wearing because that's been used to create some kind of image of what they are uh, what kind of character they are uh, and once you've established that it, it kind of becomes a bit redundant you know i'm not that bothered what my character's wearing in chapter 81 but it's important in chapter five so I I guess it's by that point in the book you you've kind of made your own decision about how you feel about the character and what they're like and, and you have this image of them in your mind and you just kind of roll with that yeah the only thing you can't do is like then dress them in something they never wear right so you know uh you know you so you, you've got to be aware of that but that's you know it's not going to happen so consistency but also you've, you've kind of front load the uh you know the chapters when they're introduced as much as you can with some some kind of something that speaks to their sense of style are there any um characters that you based on yourself or you really saw yourself in as you started writing or as your writing evolved so i think like you've definitely set out to not do that because it seems like even on a small level some kind of weird level of narcissism <laughs> if you're like hey the main character is going to be me but and um, also, like, it kind of makes sense to roll in some traits or some values or whatever they may be into that character because it adds a sense of truth to who they are by doing that. So, yeah, so the main character would be closest because he is told close to a person from his point of view. So he's most of your time is spent with him. Some of the stuff that he does is stuff that I do in real life, but not close enough. And friends and family that have read it are like, oh, yeah, like I read stuff and I'm like, I just hear you. 
and I'm like, that's fine because you know me and it's going to happen. But I, other readers, obviously, that, that won't happen. So they, they will be none the wiser. Do you, do you miss the characters now you've finished writing? It's kind of interesting because, like, I the next book I write might not have these characters in because I have an idea that I like a lot more than a sequel to this. But equally so, I might just have to write a sequel. So I'm kind of happy because life's a lot easier uh, now they exist. They're people to me. They're like people, I've, like friends that I've hung out with for many years. So I can write in their character traits. It's now it's now pretty easy. The, the more difficult thing is you've already written character arts for them in one book. Um, so how do you create a new arc that's driven by the story? You know, Lee Child that wrote Jack Reacher, the smartest thing he did out of everything was have no character arc for Jack Reacher in every single book, which is great. So he just starts afresh every every book. Is, I'd love to be able to do that. You don't want to go over old ground. You've got to write the book like someone's never read your second book before. Like they're just picking that up and they've not read your first book, as it were. So, you know, you, uh, you've got to kind of juggle that intro at the start, but not with the same layers that you had in the uh, in your debut novel. So, so yeah, they'll be back for sure. But I just really, I've got book I really want to write next so we'll see, see if I can do that. And it sounds like then you've learned something from that writing process that's given you an itch to write a second and slightly different book so so what were your main learnings? I learned that like I just did what I felt comfortable with in the first book so I knew I'd feel most comfortable writing from relatively close third person so that's what I did. I knew I might struggle to have the skill set to jump between characters uh, from different characters uh, from different chapters too much I didn't do that I kind of focused on two main people's perspective and uh but now I'm kind of I'm I feel more confident that I would just I would happily just start a chapter and and from a different character's point of view and I think it did take away some of the stuff I could have written it better if I'd done that but by the time I'd written like version 10 I did not have the heart to go back and start like rewriting perspectives for different characters but I think it makes it makes for a better reading experience for the uh, for the reader. And and did you have a writing outfit? Did you have kind of like a hoodie that you put on every time you you were writing that helped you get in the mindset? Or I know I I didn't I I I needed strictures in place because I think it's there's so much discipline required. I remember a tweet I saw on Twitter and someone said you know anyone got any tips how to uh, how to motivate yourself to tidy the house and someone just replied saying yes yeah, start writing a book. <laughs> because you you kind of you know you, you you're gonna sit down for the day you're gonna sit down for like four or five hours you're gonna try and write a thousand words and you prevaricate you're like yeah should I just like you know tidy up the kitchen a bit or something so you have to be disciplined you have to sit down wherever you're writing I, I wrote in lots of places I wrote in, I wrote the first draft in the same study in the same place in, in London and then other versions have been written everywhere like in hotel rooms everything wherever I've been over the course of that time so it, it's just discipline really you just have to decide what you can do and set a time limit and then work towards it clothing wise I won't be able to keep all the clothes clean <laughs> like for each day because I was literally writing every day for three months so you just kind of put on whatever whatever's quite comfortable to write. <laughs> it's a bit like autopilot wake up go to the laptop start writing. Actually like me I'd get up and then and I was like but then I would sort of have like something healthy to eat and then I would do the hour of prevarication and then like as, as the afternoon started have a, a brief lunch and then write for like you know 
all of the afternoon till like five six o'clock uh, so that was my that wasn't that was the best time that worked for me I'm not a morning person so I'm gonna need my brain to wake up you said that you've at the beginning of February now you took January off as a bit of a breather after launching the book in December last year we've talked a bit around some of the characters that you've created and a bit around kind of the sentiment and how you you felt around them uh, do you have any reflections kind of coming back now to talk more about the book as you go on to promote it across February and March? It's a bit surreal because you spend your life like reading books and hearing about authors and everything like that. And then when it comes to doing it, especially when you, you, your family's involved or friends or whomever it is and everyone's saying, oh, can you like sign the copy? And I'm like, it's not even under my name. I published under the name of Ben Saxon because no one knows how to spell my name. And Ben Saxon's just a really good name for an author. And also the name of one of my good friends who let me steal it. Yeah, so it's all just a bit strange, the whole like writing, you know, something inside the book for people, signing them, being in a bookshop, seeing it there. Like, I think I went into one of the bookshops and it's on the shelf next to Brandon Sanderson. And Brandon Sanderson sold like 50 million books. So you just kind of like, <laughs> what's that all about? You feel like there's a lot of imposter syndrome, I suppose. That was a... Uh, a long way of me uh, uh, going around to say that. Yeah. And talk to us about using a different name. Is that part of the imposter syndrome or what was the, the motivation behind that apart from you saying that your name's difficult to spell? I, I came at it purely because of my background in you know media marketing advertising. I was like well you want a good name, you want a good name, you like a good name for the book but you want a good name for the author because there's, there's quite a few John Burns uh, everyone spells it wrong. Anyone listen to this podcast, I'll probably talk in B-U-R-N. Uh, you know. Um, you any for anyone listening. <laughs> but, um, but with Ben Saxon, I'm like, no one, no one's getting that wrong. It's B-E-N and it's got hard X and there's no Ben, ben Saxon authors. You type Ben Saxon author into Google, I'm already on the first page. It's really nice. And finally, like if, if on the very, very unlikely chance that somehow I became a a vaguely notable author and my friend turned up at a hotel sometime and they said Ben Saxon and they said oh like the author that would be the ultimate kind of uh, troll for him. I just think it's a good thriller right name basically so that's why I did it. A lot of people ask me because I don't have an ego either so I'm just not bothered about like having my name on it. I'm, I'm on the back cover you can see my picture people know it's me. And we talked at the beginning I said how should how should you be introduced and you said I'm not sure I've never been introduced in a format like this before how does it feel to be an author? Great that I can finally say it because for a while it could be out and about we could be on a holiday and people would say like oh what do you do and my wife would be like oh he's an author and I'd be like well not really yet kind of again that imposter syndrome of until like you know you walk into a bookshop it's on the shelf you don't really feel like you are but she's like what have you written a book and I'm like what yeah, I, I'm a kind of frustrated, constant entrepreneur, always still thinking of business ideas, but now they're, that's their interspersed with book plots. So this is what my life's become, thinking of terrible business ideas and then occasionally thinking of a good one and then thinking of a good plot and then thinking of terrible bits to that plot and having to refine it. So somewhere between that, someone who's trying to decide about does he launch another business whilst he's writing because, you know, it's not the most secure way to make a living. <laughs> But it sounds like it's it, the future is about storytelling. I think for me, yes, because I think part of you always wants to make your family proud, right? You know, you'll know this from your career. And it's not about an ego perspective. It's, you know, you want your dad to be proud of you or you want your, your friend. And, and I, when I had a business and it was going well, I had a lot of that, you know. It was really nice to, to have, you know, people proud of what you'd achieved in, in that arena of your life. And then when I wrote the book, that was, it was a completely different level. Like, people felt very different. It feels a little bit strange because, again, posture syndrome, because you don't really feel like you've achieved that much yet. But, yeah, so for me, like, 
ultimately, I, I don't like doing the same thing twice. So I launched another business. I'm like, what would I be looking to achieve and the quality of life that I have? So yeah, if I can get if I can get away with enough making enough money from other ventures, I'll just I would happily just write book after book. And, and you said to me before, it feels amazing when you see it on shelf. Yeah, that and that's all, all I ever wanted. Like honestly, all I ever wanted, like hundred percent. I think it, it's knowing all that effort has come to something and seeing those words in print. It, it's been really interesting to hear about the the idea of storytelling and and for me to just reflect on how much as a writer you get inside the head of the different characters in the book and how you create that that backstory for them that takes them to even the point where the reader meets them and starts to form their own opinion of them and that that part around you obviously have a very clear view and you get to know them as people and I love the idea that they become your friends and you take them forwards and what's next for them but I think it's amazing that every person who reads your book will interpret them in a slightly different way and I think that that is the beauty of reading and of words so I'm going to finish up now by asking you what you're reading at the moment. I'm reading a book called Damascus Station which is a crime thriller with uh, set in Syria which I literally picked up in Warpstones the other day because I feel like I need to keep buying books from Warpstones and other bookshops to show my support and I, I I always buy books new because again you just it's so hard for authors so yeah because I've never read anything I've never read anything set in Damascus so I always like to learn about new places I always learn like to see how they're doing the tradecraft uh, this time for the CIA versus what you do from a different uh, you know like what we do in the FBI or anything like that so I'm always trying to learn from reading I just read a, a huge array of different genres sometimes for me to like to enjoy it and to learn, this is kind of one of those, and sometimes just for pure fun or non-fiction, because I want to learn about some. Well, actually, it's funny you say that, because I'm reading a book by Dana Sachs called All Else Fails, which is actually about refugee stories from Syria as well. So um, similar place, but but different theme and true life stories. So quite an emotional read. John, I... it has been absolutely brilliant having you on. Before we finish, are you ready for a quick lightning round? I am, yes, let's do this. <laughs> okay so first question I always ask smart or casual for you casual <laughs> all the way that's a hundred percent definitely no tuxedo trousers definitely no maybe I'm emotionally scarred no unless it's a wedding then I'm going to be casual <laughs> and reading or writing oh wow I've never I, good one uh reading still reading and and favorite character of all time Lyra from his dark materials from uh golden compass and northern lights yeah her. <laughs> that was that was a quick answer wasn't it and I didn't ask you that one before and finally I was going to ask do you I was going to ask do you have a theme song to your wardrobe but if you've got a theme song to writing you can share that instead you know what you can't play anything when you're writing because like it's just a distraction uh, but if I did have one, it would be something very serene. Definitely not like, you know, the rocky music or anything like that to pump you up. It'd be something that's like in the background keeping quiet. So probably some like chilled playlist with someone like, I don't know, like Tracy Chapman or something like that. That's kind of that's, that's very chilled and uh, inspiring, I suppose. I'm a big Tracy Chapman fan. And finally, stressed or well-dressed tonight? I'm, I, well, I'm, I'm not stressed, so I'm going to have to go with well-dressed, but because I'm at home, I am sat here in a hoodie. So, yeah, well, well-dressed as you can be in a study at whatever time this is, at seven o'clock uh, after a day at work. Thank you so much, John. It's been absolutely great having you on. Obviously, your book, The Rich List by Ben Saxon is out now. So if you're listening, read it and review yes please please do <laughs> thank you so much john good to talk to you